Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Well, we're going to, it's the last week, and we're going to be finishing up a series. This series was called A Word in Season. The first week of this month was Pentecost Sunday, so I believe we had a word in season about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. The next Sunday, uh, we had a word from Patsy about doubt and, uh, and overcoming doubt. And then the week, last week, we had Cole Stringer here, who I believe had a word in season for our church. So this is the last week with this series called A Word in Season. And so what the Lord put on my heart was this, just is praying, uh, the right gospel, the right gospel. And so I want to pray, and then we'll get into the Word today. Father, thank you so much for your Word today, and thank you, Father, that uh, we've been blessed to be here already. Father, thank you that you bless the Word. I acknowledge I cannot minister the Word without your assistance, so I yield myself to you, Father God, and I thank you that you speak through me and help me to communicate this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, here's a text scripture as the Lord put this on my heart. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And so, you know, when we talk about the right gospel, it's amazing that they're actually, according to the scriptures, that there can be different gospel. You know, anything that doesn't line up with God's word is the wrong gospel. And so Paul, the apostle, was really concerned. He didn't want them to get off course and get into uh, going with a different gospel. So he's uh, uh, letting them know, and, they, and it says, he, you, he said, I'm surprised that you did it so quickly, but it's really important if you're with us today and you're a young Christian, it's really important to really get established in the basic doctrine because if you get established in the basic doctrine, you won't fall into a category where you can go off and go with a different gospel. So that's why we have an I Believe class. Right now, as we're sitting here, there's young Christians in a class uh, in our multi-purpose room, and they're getting uh, what we call our I Believe course. It's basic doctrine. And so, like, if you've never had a basic doctrine class, you know, we have that available that we do uh, every quarter, okay? So um, they, they were turning away from the true gospel, and when you turn away from the true gospel, what they were doing is they were turning back toward Judaism. Now, so the church, we have a part to play with praying and supporting Israel, but that doesn't mean we turn back to Judaism. So our church prays for Israel, we support Israel, but that doesn't mean we're going to go back to the Old Testament and go back to Judaism. When you go back to Judaism, you get into ceremonial things and ritual things, but even worse than the ceremonial or ritual things is like you'll get back under the law or legalism. And, and when you get back under legalism and the law, you're doomed to frustration. You're doomed to getting burnt out, wore out, and frustrated. So uh, they were starting to go that way, and Paul knew it. And he knew that the true gospel, the right gospel, was much better. So Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 6, it says, but, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priest. Did everyone say far superior? For he is the one who mediates for us a far better, everyone say far better, far better covenant with God based on better promises. Say better one more time. You know, so we're not saying butter, we're saying better. But isn't isn't it wonderful that you see here that, you know, the Hebrews, they had high priests under Judaism. They had high priests. 
And the high priests were flesh and blood people like us, and they mediated between the Hebrews and God. They were the ones that mediated. But now he's saying Jesus has taken over that ministry. You need to let go of the old and embrace the new. Now Jesus is the high priest now. And uh, what he's saying is this ministry that Jesus has is far superior than the old priesthood because they were just flesh and blood. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the creator of the universe, and he is now mediating the covenant, sitting next to the creator, the all-powerful God. He's sitting up there mediating this covenant. I mean, that's like on a different level. That's like, that's like the high priest on steroids, isn't it? <laughs> Glory. So he's up there, and, he, he, it's, he, and then it says, it's a far better covenant because it's, a sta- it's based on better promises. That's what makes the covenant better. It's based on better promises, okay? So if you're new to the Bible uh, today, this might seem confusing to you because you said, well, new covenant, old covenant, you know, what's that? So it's really easy to keep uh, this straight. The old covenant is before Jesus. And like if you look at a Bible, the old covenant is like if and the Bible takes up that much room, it's like big but then the new covenant, that's after Jesus. And I mean, that's a lot smaller. It's like about 25% of the size of the old covenant. So, so it's, it, it, the, the new covenant, is, uh, you can read it quicker, okay? So, so if it's confusing, that's just old and new, before Jesus and after Jesus. That's an easy way to understand that. So God calls these things covenants. And what a covenant is, in the covenant, uh, just, just like Australia, countries have rules. So Australia has rules, and we abide by the laws and rules of Australia. Well, God put covenants in place, and then everything is governed by that covenant. So he calls those covenants. So the old covenant uh, had a set of laws and rules, and the new covenant now it has, but it's grace versus the old covenant was law. Okay, so we're, in case you don't know, if you're new to this, maybe a young Christian or you don't, sitting here and you don't know Jesus yet, we are presently now living in the new covenant, and it's a far better covenant, okay? So just a sampling to show you how much better it is, we're just going to look at an example in the Word to see just how much better this covenant is. Okay, so Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 10, it says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So as you see there, there wasn't any flexibility under the Old Testament law. If somebody made that kind of mistake, they get put to death. So people living under the law, this is what they lived under. And then Jesus comes to the earth. He becomes flesh and he comes to the earth. And now Jesus is walking on the earth. And we come up to what something that happened in John chapter 8. This lady uh, in in John chapter 8 and verse 4, she got caught. It says, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Okay, so there it is right there. These are Jewish people living under the law, and they're thinking this lady needs to be put to death. So they said in verse 5, now in the law of Moses, in the law, excuse me, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? So they're just saying, Jesus, like, you know, we should stone this lady. She, She did something wrong here like this. And so a couple verses down, it says in verse 7, as they continued to, talk, to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to, uh, to throw a stone at her. So what you see here is Jesus is like saying like he knows that there wasn't anybody standing there that was without sin. So he puts it back on them and say, okay, if you don't have any sin, you throw the first stone. Well, what happened is they all stood up and they left. So you jump down to verse number 10. Then it says Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? They, they left. And then look at verse number 11. 
She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And so what we see here is Jesus is on the earth. They were under the law, and then Jesus brings grace to the earth. And this lady should have been killed and stoned, but this lady, instead of being killed and stoned, was forgiven, okay? So here's what we want to say, uh, that having knowledge to distinguish between the two covenants is vital for, for every Christian. And, and especially if you accept Jesus as Lord and you're a young Christian, it's really vital for you to distinguish the difference between the old and the new covenant. So this lady, she received forgiveness instead of death. So we want to look at some things today. They're practical things today to help us think and talk right. So five things that we'll look at today, the right covenant, the right promises, the right thinking, the right talking, the right balance. We're going to look at those five things. We won't spend a lot of time, so uh, I know it seems like a lot, but uh, we won't stay here all day, okay? So let's start off with the first one. It's the right covenant. Let's talk about the right covenant, okay? So um, to start off, just uh, this happened with me, and I'm sure you probably had this happen to you before. The first time it happened with me is before I knew Jesus as my Lord. I was about 18 years old, and my father and mother flew us out to California. My aunt was going to get married. That was the aunt that I told you that worked for Walt Disney. She was going to get married, my dad's sister. So we flew out to the wedding, and it's the first time I got on an airplane, the first time I left Ohio, and now we're in famous California, you know. And uh, so we're, we're in California, and there's this guy. We went to go to a movie and at the cinema, when people are wanting to go and enjoy the movie, he had a guitar. And the same thing then happened in Hawaii 10 years ago when we were moving to Australia. We went to Hawaii. We thought we'd spend a few days in Hawaii before we, we came into Australia. So we're at the beach in Hawaii, and there's a guy with a guitar at the beach. There's a guy in front of the cinema with a guitar in California. And they both kind of did the same thing. They were playing, well, first of all, they were using all minor chords. Now, if you're a musician, you know there's major chords and minor chords. Major chords sound happy. Then there's a major seventh. They really sound happy. Then there's a, a, a seventh, which sounds happy. But then there's minor chords. Minor chords used the right way are great, but minor chords used the wrong way, they're just kind of sad and depressing. So I don't know why these guys always do like minor chords, and then they sing these real guilt, these con condemnation songs that put out a lot of guilt and condemnation and about how judgment's coming. And they sing, and then they'll do a little preaching about how God is going to destroy America. Maybe they have in Australia where God's going to destroy Australia. There's judgment coming. And I've never really seen anyone respond to an altar call. You know? And, it's real, and it sounds real scary. The guy in Hawaii had this little phrase. He, after he did a few things that were guilty, then he was said. He, then he said, uh, what was it, marriage, the, the marriage supper of the lamb, the marriage supper of the lamb. And everyone was thinking, what's the marriage supper of the lamb? You know, after all the, you know, he had that little phrase there. Anyway, so the people in this category, they found Jesus as Lord. They love, and anybody that finds him as Lord loves him, loves God. Because these people are sincere. They want to serve God. But it's possible that these people, when they got saved, they began reading the Old Testament before they understood the New Testament. And so uh, they saw judgment through the Scriptures. And so their conclusion, what their end thought was judgment because the Old Testament has so much judgment in it. And so they read that first, and then they got formed 
with a judgment mentality. So that's kind of their destination where they think everything's going. Whereas if you actually study the New Testament first, you'll find out that's not where everything's going. You'll get formed the right way. So this is real practical stuff that we're talking about today. So everything they do points to the judgment. Okay, so the, the right gospel, okay, the right gospel is good news. Gospel means good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the gospel. He took your sin. That's the gospel. All right, so John chapter 1 and verse 17, look at this. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses gave this law that... And under the law, if somebody did what that lady did, they were going to get stoned and killed. Then Jesus came and he brought grace and truth. It came through Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. That is the right gospel. So God... In his son, Jesus Christ, reconcile means to bring back. Somebody that's away, you reconcile them. It's like a, rela- a broken relationship gets mended. Reconcile, reconciliation. God, he desired because he loved the world to reconcile and bring the world back to him. The right gospel is attractive. The right gospel will speak to sinners' hearts and sinners will come to God to be reconciled. That's the right gospel. So the right gospel is not counting people's trespasses against them. So when you share the gospel with somebody, you don't tell them that God is going to kill them for their wrongdoing and that God is mad at them. You tell them that God sent his son Jesus and Jesus took your sins and he's not holding your past against you. He's not holding your sins against you. That's the right gospel. Which leads us to the next thing that we want to say today, and that's the right promises. Okay, the right promises. So the better promises that we're talking about, they're found in the new covenant. The better promises are in the new covenant, because that's what it says. It's, it's a, Jesus is far superior in his ministry, and then there is a covenant that's far better than the old covenant, and it has better promises. So the right promises are better promises, and they are in the new covenant. So practically speaking, after we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, it's better to learn the new covenant first. Learn the new covenant first. And here's why. Look it up there. The better promises in the new covenant teach us to correctly interpret scriptures in the old covenant. So sometimes people, they, they look at the wrong thing first and they kind of start getting formed the wrong way. You want to get formed the right way after you accept Jesus as Lord. So by understanding the new covenant, understanding the new covenant, then when you look at the old covenant, you, under, you look at it through the right lenses. You look at it through New Testament revelation lenses and you look at the old covenant that way. You understand that? So my story uh, is uh, that I do, I do daily reading and there's days sometimes that I miss, so, so you don't think I'm such a saint. You know, I, sometimes I miss my daily reading, but I try to do it every day. And when I do it, I read four chapters a day. And then what I do is I read a proverb, I read a psalm. So every 30, and then some days 31, if it's a 31-day month. And then the next month I go back to chapter 1. Then I read the psalms all the way through. A psalm, except for Psalm 119 is so big, I divide it up. <laughs> 
You know, it's like 170 or 80 verses or something. So I divide Psalm 119 up and read a little portions at a time. But when I get through the Psalms, then I get back and start over. So I'm always going through Proverbs and the Psalms. Uh, and then I read one chapter in the Old Testament and one chapter in the New. So I do four chapters a day. Now, uh, you know, I'll go through the New Testament a couple times before I get through the Old, but I purposely set my reading up to do that because I want more of the New, you know, I, because that's the covenant I'm living in, but I'm not ignoring the Old. I don't ignore it, okay? So, uh, so recently, I got on Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, if you know anything, there's a lot of judgment in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's like Israel's disobedient and they're gonna, this, this destruction's gonna come and death is going to come. Now, th that didn't do a thing to me because I'm already formed. It didn't change what I understand or believe because I'm already formed, and I know God is a good God. I understand my covenant. So when I read death and destruction in the Old Testament, I understand it was for Israel under the law, and it doesn't apply to me, okay? So if, if, we, if you read the Old Covenant for hours and just read the New Covenant for a few minutes, you know, what, what, you're going to be more full of the old instead of the new. So in your reading, you really want to make sure you read the new covenant. Now, there's the Gospels. That's when Jesus, and then there, it gets into the epistles. The epistles is revelation knowledge for the church. And so you want to make sure you understand revelation knowledge, especially the epistles that Paul the Apostle wrote. It's called Pauline Revelation, and it tells us who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. It's really really good stuff. So look at when we talk about understanding the new covenant. So here's a scripture, this one scripture, like in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 9, it says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Well, even this one scripture verse in the New Testament is so powerful that I know my destination isn't wrath. So I'm not going to, when I look at the Bible, I'm not thinking about going towards something that brings judgment and wrath. I'm thinking about salvation. He's like my Savior, and he continues to be my Savior, and my destination is so good. So when I talk and think and minister to other people, I'm not thinking about judgment and wrath. I'm thinking about my destination which, and your destination. Our destination does not include wrath. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, your destination does not include wrath. Okay? Which brings us to the next thing, uh, the right thinking the right thinking. So our covenant tells us who we are and what we have in Christ. So notice my terminology there. Our covenant tells us who we are and what we have. So we are, we have. We are. In other words, it, it's now. We have. It's now. Okay, so even the right thinking, the idea that we lack something from God. If you're a Christian and you're, start, and you're getting founded or you're founded in the new covenant, you shouldn't think that you lack, like, I need, we're needy, and we need, you know, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. It says that he puts his laws into our hearts. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We are, past tense, blessed. The right gospel, the right thinking. So, to think that we're needy and we're lacking, we're not, okay? So, Sometimes it happens in people that don't understand that. They, get, they want to get real deep, and they want to get more and more serious. And they're thinking it's, it's by getting serious and trying to get deep that, that, that it's going to help them. And really, it doesn't. Everything's by grace through faith. His burden is 
light and his yoke is easy. This is Christianity. This is the right gospel. So sometimes people try to get so deep and, um, and, they, and they actually get, you know, sad and they don't have joy. So Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So notice there, righteousness, that's right standing with God, peace and joy. This is the kingdom of God. This is the right gospel. This is the right way to think. So here's an example. We all desire signs and wonders and miracles, but here's the thing. We want to see more. I mean, I think many, especially Pentecostal Christians, they want to see more signs and wonders and miracles. So I think any Pentecostal will be in that boat. But here's the question. Do they come from striving? Does striving bring them? Uh, getting more and more serious, will that bring them? But I think that we can say that it's by grace through faith. Everything in our covenant is by grace through faith. So here, that we're righteous, we're righteous in Christ, we have peace and joy. So let's take that and let's apply that to prayer. So every, every Christian prays. So this is something practical to apply this to prayer. So by taking prayer as an example, here's the first thing. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. So the first thing is when we go to pray, we're praying from a place of righteousness. In other words, righteousness, you have right standing with God, and you have been restored, and you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. So you're pray, pray, praying excuse me, from a place of victory. So when a Christian goes to pray, immediately, if you're going to really follow and stay with the right gospel and the right thinking, you're already in a place of victory because you're righteous. You're in right standing with God. You're praying from a righteous place. That's the first thing. So this is just practical application. The next one is if we are going to pray, we pray with the peace of God, not fear. So even in the book of Job, like it seems like Job was so spiritual in the first couple chapters because it says that he offered sacrifices for his children consistently. But it says the reason he did it was because he feared that they sinned. So when Job offered sacrifices, he was being motivated by fear. And, and, you know, if you have a prayer life that's motivated by fear instead of faith, it's not right. You, you go to prayer with, in victory. You go to prayer with peace. So even if you have fear, you, you, it's better to get rid of it. Like cast your cares on the Lord, command fear off you, perfect love casts out fear, and then when you go to pray, you go from a victorious place and you're peaceful. Even if it's a serious situation, we want to endeavor to stay at peace because it's, it's a peace, uh, peace is important. And then even uh, pray, praying with joy, not getting uh, more and more serious and deep when you pray. Now, I, I do, like, throughout the years, I've had a few times, Pentecostals could relate to this, that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I've had a few times where this, uh, there was a prayer that came on me where you groan and travail and it's, it's, a, it's a prayer that's pretty serious, and God uses you as a vessel to pray something through. Now, that's happened to me a couple, I don't know, I have never really counted it, you know, 10 plus times maybe since I've been a Christian. It doesn't always happen. You can't control that. If, if the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're used and, and you have that kind of, uh, like, 
groaning and travailing for something, and God uses you that way, but you can't make it happen. So that's not normal. But the normal way to go to prayer is you're going there from a place of victory, and you're going there with you have peace and joy. Okay, so the, the thing about joy is like faith rejoices and doubt despairs. So you know like Anne of Green Gables, how many Anne of Green Gables fans do we have? You know, when that came out, we lived on the mission field, and we lived in Italy, and we still couldn't understand Italian. So we, that's back in the days of VHS, you know, the VHS stuff. It was even before CD, DVDs. Um, so we had our VHS, Anne of Green Gables. We probably watched, we had all three, part one. We, waited, they all, we got them all. But we probably watched part one, Anne of Green Gables, at least 20 times uh, in, in the nine years we were in Italy. I mean, we, we, we were Anne of Green Gables fans. I remember the first time Patsy said her girlfriend, this is back when we were living in Oklahoma, and her girlfriend was coming over, and they were going to watch Anne of Green Gables. And she says, would you watch it with us? And I said, no way. God, God, guys, don't, guys don't do stuff like that. I'll, I'll go out with my friends or something. Well, she convinced me to watch it, and I'm over there crying, and, you know. And so I, I became... I became an Anne of Green Gables fan. But so in part number one, Marilla, you know, the older lady, Marilla, was telling Anne. Anne talked about being in despair, despair, and Marilla says, to despair is to turn your back on God. And I thought, whoa, that's really powerful, you know? And I, I, that's really, it is like you, you don't, as a Christian, you don't want to allow yourself to get into a place of despair. Faith rejoices and doubt despairs, okay? So it's important when we go to pray, we go there from a place of righteousness, victory. We go there with peace, and we have joy when we pray, okay? So when we come out of our prayer closets, we come out victoriously, peacefully, with joy. That's the way to come out, okay? So here's a, another thought that we should own our covenant, like you own it. You, you learn the covenant, so we think according to our covenant. By learning and owning the covenant, you start thinking like the covenant. So it, 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 then something comes your way, it can't throw you off track. Which brings us to the, right, the next thing is, if you think right, you got, you're going to th- talk right. So right talking, the right talking. So saying things like this, this is practically speaking, I hope God doesn't get mad at me. I hope I'll go to heaven. I hope nothing bad happens to me. I hope God doesn't punish me. I hope God doesn't take his Holy Spirit from me. Now, those are all these kind of phrases. Every single one of those phrases is wrong, and Christians shouldn't really say that, you know. But, so, but sometimes Christians do. Like, so here's an example. There's an Old Testament scripture where David sinned, and David did something really bad. And so David told the Lord, you know, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Take not your spirit. So if you read the Old Testament first, and you read, come across, take not your spirit from me, and you don't know the New Testament, you might think, oh, if I do something, if I do something wrong and I miss it, God will take this, his spirit from me. That's, first of all, that's in the Old Testament. And let's see some scriptures in the New Testament. Like, let's read the first one, John chapter 10 and verse number 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is Jesus talking. And then verse 29, it says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
So when somebody comes to Jesus and they make him their Lord, what do we hear? That he said, no one's, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand, and the Father's greater than me, and no one's going to snatch you out of his hand. Then there's also other scriptures in the book of Ephesians that says we are sealed with the spirit of promise. When you accept Jesus as your Lord, the Holy Spirit seals you into the body of Christ. You're seal- I like the word sealed. It has something about it like sealing. You know, I, I, I talked in the first service about a Ziploc bag, you know, and you seal it. It's not a real strong seal. You could probably blow it up with air and seal it and then hit it and it'll probably blow open. I've done that before. It's, it's fun to play like that, you know. But anyway, you know, sealing a Ziploc bag, you know, just think about when you get saved, you get sealed into the kingdom of God, you know. And, uh, and then even this, like for those, somebody might be here and thinking, you know, I'm, I, it seems like I never really obeyed God and it's probably too late for me. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means God doesn't change his mind about your gifting and calling, and it's not too late for you. And that's what, so see, when you learn the new covenant and you get saturated in the new covenant, then when these thoughts come, you, you have ammunition to fight them. It's never too late for anyone. Praise God. You just got on a little detour. But see, God is a special, he does special things by, he is the one, he has a roadmap no one else has. You know, like the GPS, they got to load, and you got to get it updated and all that stuff. God has a road map, and he can change the roads. When you get off course, he had maybe had this, and maybe you got off course. God, you know, he's the only one that can build a new road. The GPS doesn't do that. So you got a little bit off course, and you went over here, but God will just create a road to get you right back on course. He never leaves you and never forsakes you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Glory. Which brings us to this, the right balance, the right balance. What is the right balance? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about grace because some people get misunderstandings about grace. So Jesus, um, he forgave that lady that committed adultery, and he seemed like he was okay with it, which is kind of like mind-boggling for any of us. So let's look back again at that scripture in John 8 and, and, and 11. It says, he said, neither do I condemn you. Then he continued and he says, go, and from now on sin no more. So you, here's what we want to know. Jesus accepted her in her sin the way she was. He did not condemn her and make her feel guilty. He instead forgave her. But then yet he also said, now, go and sin no more. So we want to talk about making sure we have the right balance, the right gospel, but also the right balance even with grace, okay? So what we see here is he accepted her as she was, forgave her, but he also said, don't continue in it, all right? So the balance that we see here, let's, let's look at it and see if we can find it somewhere else in the epistles. So like in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11, look at this. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So what does that tell? By grace you're saved, God loving you and accepting you the way you are, no matter what, and you, you get brought into the kingdom of God and reconciled. So that's what Jesus did with the lady, accepted her the way she was. So, but then look at it as we can is look further in verse number 12, this grace then that brought you in, it says then this grace training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the right balance. So you understand God is so good and merciful, and no matter what you do, he will forgive you. But then yet, because he does that, it doesn't mean, well, okay, he did it, so now let me figure out another thing I can do and get away with it. That's not, that's not right thinking. We want to think right, 
and we want to have a right balance. So it doesn't mean if you think right, you'll be perfect. No one was ever perfect, so understand that. But what you want to do as a Christian, you want to go to him and say, uh, you know, you're so forgiving, and I thank you that you continue to forgive me, but I want you to know my heart. I don't want to walk the wrong way. I want to be what your word says. I want, I want to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. I want to live a self-controlled life. And, you know, and, and, I, and, and it says, and godly lives in the present age. That's on the earth. So you just talk to the Lord that way and tell him your heart. Just tell him. So here's, here's uh, some thoughts, practical things. Grace isn't God eliminating his standard of what is right and wrong. And see, we want to get a balance here. Grace isn't God like where he's eliminated his standard of what is right and wrong. I think you got that next slide there. Um, it, it's not that. Oh, I didn't, must not put that in there. Okay, I didn't put it in. Sorry about that. I thought I put it in there. So I'll just read it and make sure you get it. So grace isn't God eliminating his standard of what is right and wrong. So we want to make sure we get the right balance. So when we see what God did to the lady, he says, I accept you the way you are. You messed up, and I, you're cleansed and forgiven. But now when you leave here, make an attempt not to do it again. Don't do it. Like, in other words, every Christian should have a, in their, in their hearts, like, I don't, want to do, I don't want to do anything wrong. I want to do right, and we'll see that. So God... And then not only did he not eliminate his standard of what right and wrong is, God placed the penalty of our doing wrong on Jesus. So the reason that God continues to accept us as we are and continues to forgive us under the new covenant is because he put the penalty that was in the Old Testament where they would kill somebody and stone him, he put that penalty on Jesus, and Jesus is the one that went to the cross and died, so the penalty doesn't fall on us. It's wonderful. So right and wrong still exist, but what makes the difference for us is the penalty of sin was instead placed on Jesus. So what we see in Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, it says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. I, let's say that, say, say I'm a slave of God. You know, and even if you're not really, even if he hasn't captured you yet, it's good to say it by faith. But we all want to get captured by God and become his slave, you know. So, but notice how it says, you are free from the power of sin. So what God did in Christ broke the power of sin. The penalty of that came on Jesus. And then what happens is, no, notice that it says, now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. In other words, uh, the best way to explain it is the story that I told a number of times where there was a lady in a church years ago, and she used to go to the pub and party and dance. So there's, like, if you go to a wedding and dance, it's cool, you know, but going to a pub and partying and dancing, it's a different thing. So this lady would come up, and she would tell the minister, uh, that, hey, if I, if I get saved, can I still go to the pub and dance? And the, the pastor always would say, no, if you get saved, you, you, that's not the place. You don't belong in the pub partying and dancing. So she would say, oh, but I'd like to do that. So she would leave and not get saved. You know, so then there was a, a guest minister, and the lady came up and asked the question to the guest minister. Hey, if I, if I get saved, can I continue to go to the pub and party and dance? And the guest minister said, if you get saved, you can go to the pub and party and dance all you want to. And the lady got really happy about it and said, really? And she goes, I want to get saved. And she, she confessed Jesus as Lord with a sincere heart. 
and she got saved. And see, what happened is when she got saved, the power of sin was broken, and she became a slave to God. And look at it, it says, now you do those things that lead to holiness. So that, guest, that traveling minister was back in that church months down the road, and he saw the lady, and he went up to her and he said, hey, since you got saved, have you been going to the pub party and dance? And she goes, funny thing. Once I got saved, I no longer wanted to go to the pub and party and dance. It's like he got on the inside and changed the desire. So that's what you understand Romans chapter 6. It makes more sense. But now you are free from the power of sin because he, he breaks it with his power. He gets on the inside of us, but he also broke it by taking the penalty off of us. You see, because guilt and condemnation, when people get put under the law and guilt and condemnation, you think they'll stop sinning because of that, but it actually causes most people to sin more. But when he broke that and when he took the, the penalty off of us and put it on Jesus, that in itself is power that breaks sin. But the, the next thing that happens is he comes on the inside of you. You're empowered. So we can say that we have supernatural empowerment in this covenant. It's not about willpower. It's about him moving on the inside, taking the penalty off of us, changing our desires, and empowering us to do the things that lead to holiness. That's what it's about. Praise God. So that's right balance. That's right balance. That's the right gospel. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The Word is wonderful. It's been, it's been good to be here today. Now, you know, uh, if you're with us today and you don't know Jesus as Lord, you know, it's so easy to have that become real in your life. And you might say, my, I'm really excited about this thing that God doesn't hold sin. He's not holding my sins against me, and, and he comes on the inside and changes me. Well, here's, here's how easy it is, and we're going to pray in a minute. But look at this scripture in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. We're going to pray this with you real soon. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how salvation comes. You Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. So we're going to pray, and we're going to give you, if you're with us today and you're saying, man, I'm hungry for this Jesus you're talking about. This is your opportunity. So I'm going to invite everyone to close your eyes, and we're going to pray today. Father, I thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to minister your word today. Father, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, Lord. And so if there's anyone with us today, Father God, you knew before the foundations of the world, you knew before the world was created that any, that, that person would be sitting in this room today because you know all things and you know the beginning from the end. So this day it was pre prepared for anyone that doesn't know you. So, Father, thank you that you brought them here, and thank you that you speak to their heart in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you let everyone know that there is a Savior, that there is a heaven to have and a hell to lose, Lord, and that heaven is better than hell. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to everyone. If you feel a tug on your heart today, that's... God's love and his goodness just tugging on your heart saying Jesus is Lord and he's Savior and all you have to do is pray this prayer that we're going to pray so I want to invite you to close your eyes and we're going to pray this prayer together the reason we close our eyes is because you can really concentrate and pray from your heart so like let's we're, our church family will help you so you won't be heard just so you can pray out don't even think you have to whisper you can pray this prayer out because we're going to pray it together 
say, let's pray this, let's do this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came, you left heaven, you came to earth. You came for me, you died for me, you took my sin, you went to hell for me, you were raised for me. Jesus, you are Lord. I believe in my heart, God raised you from the dead. You're welcome in my heart. Jesus, you are now my Savior. Thank you that you first loved me, and now I love you. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.